the year 2008 brought with it one of the greatest economic crises in the history of our country. Now, the problems in 2008 that caused the, the economic collapse that happened were very complex issues, but there was one concept that was repeated over and over, and it was the concept of too big to fail. It was asserted that some corporations are so vital that the government would be forced to intervene and prevent failure. And so what that did was it caused companies to think that it doesn't really matter what we do, how we run our company, because in the end, at the end of the day, our company is just too big to fail. We're not going to fail. That attitude is what caused the problem. In Joshua chapter 7, that same attitude is on display. God's people were thinking, we're not going to fail. I mean, think about it. They had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. The new generation rises up and finally God gives them the okay. Cross the Jordan River. Enter into the land that I promised to give you. In the chapter before, we see that Jericho, the mighty city, was brought down and conquered. And not by their efforts, but by God's. I mean, can you just picture these people that are, that are there and they're seeing all of this. They see all the work that God is doing. And they think in their heads, we have got this thing. We're too big to fail. God is on our side. And so that attitude caused them to misplace their priorities. That attitude caused Israel to fail. In their prideful attitude, they started treasuring things more than they treasured the God who brought them over the Jordan. God confronts His people and He tells them that when we treasure anything else above Him, it's called idolatry, it's called sin. And, and we look at Joshua chapter 7 and we as Christians oftentimes have the very same mentality. We think that because we are saved by God's grace from God's wrath, that now it does not matter what we treasure. We can live our lives however we want to, and we will not fail. But God gives us a word from heaven this morning that says, That when we commit idolatry, when we take God out of His rightful place in our hearts, we will fail. The main thing that we will see in Joshua 7 is that we need to tear down our own idols. And we need to treasure God above all else. He won't take second place. He won't take second place. Joshua chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. But, he says, the people of Israel, right after they walked across, right after they defeated Jericho, but the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of 
Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, and the tribe of Judah took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and they said, Don't have all the people go up, but let two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Don't make the whole people toil up there because they're few. So about three thousand men went up there from the people and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them on the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Notice what Joshua says. Joshua tore his clothes. He fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we have been content to dwell beyond the Jordan O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up. Consecrate the people and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow For thus says the Lord God of Israel, they are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You can't take them before your enemies. You can't stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes. And the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households. And the households that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire. God takes it very seriously. He and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe and the tribe of Judah was taken and he brought the clans of Judah and the clan of the Zerahites was taken and he brought near the clan of the Zerahites man by man and Zabdi was taken and he brought near his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. And Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and give praise to him, and tell me now what you have done. Don't hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Then I coveted them and took them, and see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was hidden in the tent with the silver underneath. 
And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the cloak, and the bar of gold, and his sons and his daughters, and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Accor. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you this day. And all Israel stoned them with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of the place is called the Valley of Accor. And Accor means trouble. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would tear down idols. Lord, I pray that we would be marked by rightfully treasuring you above all else. In Jesus' name, amen. So Israel suffered a humiliating defeat. Israel suffered an absolutely humiliating defeat. In the passage that we just read, just like with Jericho, Joshua sends in spies to, to look at Ai, to look and see, to check it out and bring back a report. And you saw in the text the report that the men bring back. They say, hey, look, don't send up, don't send up all, of the, all of Israel to fight. Just send up a part of them. In other words, he's saying, hey, we've got this. We went up there, there's not, many, there's not many warriors that live in Ai. We don't have to take up the entire army. We'll just take up a small part of it, and let's go there, and we're going to take names, and we're going we're to completely wipe them out. So they go up, and instead, we know that's not how it goes. The men, 3,000 went up to battle. Ai defeated them in humiliation. Killed 36 of them, it says. Verse 5 tells us Israel's response. It says the heart of the people melted and became as water. They could not understand. Joshua himself comes before God and says, Lord, I don't understand. Why did you bring us over the Jordan? Why did you promise us this land? If you're going to let us go to the second place that we go, and you're going to let them completely conquer us. Did you bring us over here so that we might die? What are we going to do when everybody in this land that you've given us hears about this defeat? They're going to all come and they're going to fight against us and they're going to wipe us out. Then what's going to happen to us? Then what's going to happen, God, to your great name? If that happens as if God's name was somehow tied up with these people. That's a good question, right? That Joshua's asking. That's a very good question. God, why did you do this? Didn't you say you were with us? Didn't you say you were going to give this? I mean, look at the timing of it all. Chapter 7 follows chapter 6. God promised to give them the land. They defeated Jericho without even having to fight. We know the story. They walked around it seven times. We were told it as children. Miraculously, victoriously, Jericho fell. And they fully expected at that point for God to just completely take them into the land and all the other 
cities would fall the exact same way that Jericho did. And so he's looking and he's saying, God, why did this happen? Everything was going so well. Our past successes were so great that surely we shouldn't have been defeated by AI. And let me tell you, one thing we can learn from this text is simply this. We cannot depend on past successes to make it through temptation. We can't depend on our past spiritual successes to make it through this life and and make it through our temptations and our struggles. The only way that we're going to make it through is just like for these people to trust God. We can't say that, well, I know know God delivered me from this before, so I know that everything's going to be okay. We have to keep trusting Him. And even in our best moment, y'all listen to this, even in our best moment, we are still weak and foolish. Even in our very best moment, and our most victorious moment, we are still weak and foolish and still need His grace. Why did the people fail? Why did they fall at Ai? God tells them that it's because they broke faith. Very first verse, verse 1, the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. Well, what are the devoted things that he's talking about here? We see as the, as the people go in and they, they conquer Jericho by God's mighty help, In chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, this is what it says, And the city that is Jericho and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in the house shall live because she hid the messengers whom you sent. Verse 18, look at it. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted from destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. God said, look, as you go into Jericho, do not take any of the stuff that you find there. God is saying, you Israel, you are set apart. You are holy. And you are going into a land. And God says, look, I don't want you to take anything from them. I don't want you to take spoils of war. I don't want you to take their money. I don't want you to take their clothes. I don't want you to take all of their possessions. I want you to destroy it all. I want you to destroy it all. And he says, look, if these things that are devoted to destruction come into your camp, you're making your camp devoted to destruction. That's what's going on here. Someone from among them took something that was, should not have been taken. Someone among them, instead of trusting in the Lord to provide for them, said, I'm going to take matters into my own hands and I'm going to take these things for myself. He took the spoils into the camp. And in doing so, he showed that God was not first priority in his heart. In doing so, he was showing, I submit to you this morning, that, that this, these treasures were idols to him. He treasured them more than he treasured God. And if God is not our first priority... If we, like Israel, say, I'm going to treasure something else more than I treasure God, we will surely fail. You may seem prosperous now. You may seem comfortable now. Everything in your life may seem like it's going okay. But if God is not first place, if God is not the treasure, the supreme treasure of your heart, 
you can rest assured that you are headed for ruin. Everything will fall apart. And not just for us as individuals, but for us as a church. If God is not first place in our hearts, we can have the, the very best buildings. We can have the very best vision. We can have the very best building plan. We can have the best preacher, the best choir, the best music minister, the best, best youth minister, the best youth program in all of the parish. But if we do not treasure God supremely in our hearts, we will surely fail. God does not care about how big of a building we have. God does not care about how great of services that we think we have. God doesn't care about how big our congregation is. He doesn't care about any of that. What God wants to see happening in our church and in our hearts is that we treasure Him more than anything else. We will surely fail if we treasure anything else more than Him. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, for you I'd simply say it's not possible for you to do this thing called treasuring Him. You're in rebellion against Him, the Scripture says. Your sin actually lies to you. It blinds you. It makes you think that everything between you and God is okay. That's what makes our, our, our sin so dangerous. Is it, it lies to us and it says, you know, you and God are fine. You had a relationship with God. Everything's fine. But when God speaks through His Word, He tells us that things are not okay. That we are by nature in enmity with Him. For you, if you're not a Christian, making God that type of priority, treasuring God like that, looks like you clinging to Christ. It looks like you coming in to Christ and simply saying, Lord, I don't have anything worthy of acceptance before God. All that I have is my sin and these filthy rags, and I'm coming and I'm laying it at your feet. I'm clinging to Christ, and you'll find that Christ can fix your greatest problem. Christ can fix the sin that we struggle with. Christ can fix our rebellion and He can transform our heart so that we will treasure God. So after their defeat, God speaks to the people and He confronts them for their error. God doesn't leave it up to chance for the people to guess why they were defeated. He doesn't leave it up to chance for them to say, maybe we should have sent more people. God comes right out and says, this is what it is. And the second scene that we see in the text is God confronting them. God confronting them and he tells Joshua why Israel failed because they took the devoted things. We become what we treasure, church. When we treasure something, that is what we are on the road to becoming. And so for God's people, because they are turning to these idols, because they're turning to other treasures, that's what they are becoming. They're turning to things that are devoted for destruction, so they themselves are becoming devoted for destruction. And God makes that very clear to them. They treasured the possessions more than they treasured God. And some very haunting words are spoken in verse 12. Verse 12, God speaking to the people. God says, I will be with you no more. Unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. You know why that's so haunting? Because God is saying, hey, I promised that I'd be with you always. But when you turn to other things, I'm not going to have second place. 
God saying, if you treasure these other things, you're going to go after them. I'm not going to be with you. Church, that means that we can't treasure something else and expect God to just fit right into it. We can't have a treasure that we say, this is really what I want, and God, I'll have you if you'll just kind of fit nice and neat behind it. God is saying, no, I'm not going to have it. God is saying, I'm not going to be with you. I'm not going to go with you. I'm not going to bring you into the land if you continue like this. And he says, I want you to take the things that were devoted for destruction. I want you to take the idols. I want you to take the sin. And I want you to destroy it. So that I alone will be first place. And so he gives the the remedy, destroy the idols. He who has taken the devoted things shall be burned with fire. He says in verse 15, He and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. The man who did it is told by God that the man who took the devoted thing was to be burned with fire, along with everything that he has. Now I look at that and I just think, my goodness. My goodness. God, did you really just say that you gotta, we got to kill that guy? we got to burn everything that he has? Doesn't that seem a little bit extreme? Why couldn't he just give up what he took? I mean, right? Don't, we, don't, don't you look at that and just think, doesn't that seem extreme, God? Why, why would you do that? Why would you tell us to do that? You know, the text isn't clear. We, we often, when we tell the story, we say that his family died with him. The text leaves some, uh, you know, some lack of clarity there on whether or not his family was killed with him or whether they just watched. But one thing is for sure, he was killed and everything that, that belonged to him was burned. You know, as we start to see the true nature of what he's done, instead of asking God, doesn't that seem extreme, I start to realize... Yeah, that doesn't seem quite extreme enough. That doesn't seem quite extreme enough. I mean, think about this. God one day would send His Son. It's not as if God is a mean kid on the anthill saying, well, He stepped over the line, kill Him. God Himself will one day be in this very same spot. I remember back when Brittany and I were dating... She told me something that I thought was hilarious at the time, and, and I've, I've just thought about it recently. She's like, oh no. When we were dating, she used to tell me, you know, peeps, you all see the, the Hallmark movies, you know, where a couple will break up, and, and, you know, one of them will say, I just want you to be happy. So if you're going to be happier with this man and not me, I just want you to be happy. You go. And Brittany told me, Matt, that's a load of garbage. (laughs) And she told me that day, she said, Matt, I want you to know, I want you to be happy. Yes. But I want you to be happy with me. God, listen, God is the one thing that can satisfy us forever. Unlike a human relationship, the other person won't satisfy us like God will. God is the one being in the universe that will satisfy us forever and completely and give us abiding joy that never ends. And so therefore, listen, follow this. God wants us as His people to treasure Him, to delight in Him, 
Because He knows that is where we will find our joy. And so therefore, what we see happening here is God being jealous. And listen, God's jealousy is for our good. Because what God in essence is saying is, yes, there's a penalty for sin. Yes, all this. But I want you to know, you're only going to be happy when you put me first. You're only going to have this eternal joy, this eternal satisfaction and fulfillment when I am first place. And so God warns His people, don't go there. Don't go there. It's going to end in emptiness. And so, for us this morning, some of us want nice, neat lives. We want our nice jobs We want our nice families. We want to pursue the American dream. And we want God as a neat little add-on to that. God, I'll take you if only my religion just looks like me coming on Sunday and sitting in a pew for an hour and then going home and doing my own thing. What we need to hear this morning is God saying to us, if you treasure something else more than me, I will not play along with it. Our God is a jealous God. So what are some areas that we are treasuring idols instead of treasuring God? For some of us, sports has our devotion. We can make sacrifices for sports, but never for God. We can stand and shout at a ball game, until our voice goes out, but yet we come to church and we refuse to sing praises to our King. We can go to a ball game and stand for hours, and yet when we're asked to stand to worship the One who's actually worthy of us standing, we say, no, I'd prefer to sit, and we complain. For some of us, it's our jobs. We're willing to work long, hard hours at work so that we can make more money and make a better way for our families. But we're unwilling to vote to devote that much energy to our walk with Christ. For some of us, it's comfort. This is mine. This is my idol. I'm willing to go great lengths to be comfortable. I am willing to go spend great amounts of money to be at ease. And I will only follow God if I can stay comfortable. I'll follow God as long as it involves me just showing up for an hour on Sunday, but don't ask me to go to Bible study. Don't ask me to go to Sunday school. Don't ask me to volunteer and serve because my true God is my comfort. It may be money for some of you. We feel secure the more money that we have, the more we have in our 401k, the more we have in our nest egg. And we refuse to be generous with our money. And we refuse to trust God's ability to supply all of our needs. For some of us, it's relationships. Our idol, our treasure is relationships. We'll go to any length to make a relationship work, to make the other person happy. But we neglect the one relationship that truly matters. We neglect the one relationship that will actually pull our relationships, our human relationships closer together. Another big one for me, and probably for some of you, is reputation. 
We care about what everybody else thinks. Except for the one who really matters. We care about what the public thinks about me. Care greatly about that. But how much time and energy do I spend worrying and thinking about what does God think about me? What does God think about the way that I'm living my life? What does God think about the choices that I'm making? So what do we need to do with our idolatry if we found it? And we need to pray, church. We need to pray, God, show us our idols. God, show them to us. What do we need to do with our idolatry? Well, what did Israel do with its idolatry? The last part of the text here, Israel repents. Israel repents. Their repentance looks like two things. First of all, notice as they bring up tribe by tribe and they narrow it down and narrow it down and narrow it down, they finally find, hey, Achan is the guy who did this thing. Achan is the one that did this thing. Achan, notice, confesses his sin. Repentance always begins with confessing sin. Acknowledging the fact that we have sinned against the holy God. Now, I know what you're thinking and it's what I'm thinking. Wait a second. It did not end well for Achan, did it? Wait, preacher, are you saying that we should confess our sins so that God can then kill us? What? That's crazy. When we come to God and we confess our sin, we, just like Achan, listen, we deserve death. But I want you to hear this. This is so good. When we come to God and we confess our sins and we're clinging to Christ, you know what we find? We find that the penalty of our sin, which is death, that we rightly deserve has already been paid at the cross. So that when we come before God and say, God, I am an idolater. God, I am pursuing, I am treasuring other things and I need your help. God doesn't say, off with your head. God doesn't say, I'm going to destroy you. He says, no, I've already destroyed my son and that is enough. Y'all, the gospel is good. When we come to Him confessing our sin, we know that the penalty that we deserve is already taken care of. And so church, we should confess our idolatry to God. We should confess it to Him. And I submit to you this morning, we'll never have victory over it unless we confess it to Him. The second thing that we see happening in the passage is not just Achan confessing, but Israel eradicates sin. In other words, it wasn't enough for Achan just to say, you know, I've sinned. But now Israel had to take action to fight it. They had to take action to eradicate it. So they stone Achan. They burn everything that belongs to him. I remember several years ago, the movie Fireproof was released in which a man was fighting for his marriage. Many of you have seen the, the movie. One of my favorite scenes in the movie is where his battle with pornography comes to a crucial moment. He's looking at his computer, looking at uh, something that is perfectly innocent, all of a sudden something pops up there, and he starts kind of hovering his mouse over it, and he's about to click, and all of a sudden something sinks in. He realizes that this sin is destroying his life. And he realizes that he doesn't just need to do it and then confess it later, but he actually has to fight it. And so for him, in a very dramatic moment, Caleb takes his computer outside and he destroys it with a baseball bat. 
I've known of people who struggle with it to rip their, their internet out of the wall. I've heard of others throwing their computers out of windows, setting them on fire, and you say, well, that's extreme. It's not extreme enough. Church, we've got to fight sin and treasure our God. And the idea, of course, is drastic measures must be taken to fight sin and idolatry. Why? Because it will destroy us. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. So what are we going to do to fight sin? What are we going to do to fight idolatry? Devote more energy and time to your walk with God than you do sports. If you struggle with your job, give God more preeminence than your job. Work in such a way that makes God look like your supreme treasure while you're at work. If it comes to comfort like me, purposefully plan to destroy your idol and plan to serve God outside of your comfort zone. If it's money, fight the love of money by generously giving it away. You know, we, we always talk about tithing and we, we talk about giving to the church and it's not just something self-seeking that we do. You would be surprised if you don't tithe, if you don't give to the work of God here at the church. You would be surprised what that will do to your heart, for your heart, if you start giving your money. And it's not like God needs your money. God's got all the money He needs. It's just in your pockets. You'd be surprised what God would do for your heart. You'd be surprised how your heart turns generous when you loosen your grip on your money if it's your treasure. Maybe if it's relationships, confess to your spouse that you haven't been making God a priority and start pursuing, start pursuing God together. If you're married, pray with your spouse. Read the Bible together. Do a family devotion. If you have young children, if you have children at all, it's your job to disciple them. If God is your treasure, you'll do that. And if it's your reputation, stop caring about what, what people think and start caring about what God thinks. We see in this passage Israel's defeat. When we turn away from God just like them, we'll surely fail. We see in this text that God confronts their sin. God is not going to take second place. We see finally that Israel repents. The question of the hour for us this morning, church, as we close, as we get ready to respond, here's the question that really matters in this place this morning. Will you tear down your idols? Will you tear down your idols? If you're not a Christian, for you that looks like clinging to Christ. If you are a Christian, that looks like you repenting. It looks like you coming and saying, God, tear them down. In just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. We're going to sing a song where we are begging God to be our treasure. To give us clean hands, to give us a pure heart. And if you, like me, are realizing this morning that I've got idols, this morning I'm going to ask you to do something a little strange. I'm going to ask you to actually get up from where you are. Well, why would I want to do that? Because when we externally move to a new location, it shows that's what my heart's doing. My heart's not going to just sit where it is, and my heart's not just going to stay in its idolatry and its sin. I'm physically going to move and beg God to break me of my idolatry. 
in just a moment as we stand and as we sing, I plead with you to tear down your idols. As much as I can as your pastor. As pastorally as I can get, your idols are going to kill you. Tear them down however small they might be. Fight sin no matter what the cost. And come this morning and confess, Lord, we have idols. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And for too long, Lord, we have been content with doing business as usual. For far too long, Lord, we have been content with our comfortable little lives, but we're just fitting you in second. Lord God, we know that you're a consuming fire. We know, God, that you are a jealous God. And Lord, that your jealousy is for our good. You won't have us running toward empty idols, but Lord, you will call us back to the one who actually will satisfy us. Confront us today, Lord. Speak in this place this morning, Lord. Your servants are listening. God, move us to repentance. Only you, God, can do what's needed. In Jesus' name.